Hey everyone, welcome back to Choose Inclusion. I'm here with my co-hosts as usual, Mike and Yubi. Say hi guys. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. Hey, yeah, welcome back guys. So we are joined today uh, by a friend of ours, Uzo Akatobi, who is the director uh, or the vice president of HR and inclusion and diversity at uh, Prologis. Uh, we've actually known um, Uzo for uh, probably about a year now or so, um, and Uzo has just been an incredible ally and friend um, in kind of this fight for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, so we are excited to have you here today. Uh, welcome, Uzo. Thank you. Happy to be here. So the first question we, we always ask is, you know, as part of this Black Voices Matter series that we're doing, there's just so much going on in the world right now. And I think it's really important to just, you know, check in with people. And so how are you, how are you feeling with everything that's happening right now? Yeah, it is, uh, you know, uh, we've been here before, you know, um, something feels different this time, but we've, we've certainly been here before. And so it's, uh, it's, so it saddens me in that way uh, where, you know, I think we, we continue to kind of look at these incidences like isolated incidences um, that'll just go away. And every time we do that, it's putting a cap back on the pressure cooker and then it explodes when another incident, such as what we've had in the last three, four weeks. And those are just the incidences that we know. So. I see the pain in, you know, certainly the people in my network, uh, my uh, African-American community, uh, allies as well, you know, and, um, and just, uh, just, you know, that the average everyday person who cares, um, you know, it, it really hurts to see this many people in pain. Um, and, uh, and then to assess my own feelings and, and, and then, you know, you try your best to go back to work and, and do the things you have to do. But, you know, we can't separate ourselves from our own humanity. And so it's, it's uh, hard to compartmentalize. And I think uh, it's, it's probably not healthy to compartmentalize either. Um, so it's just sorting through all of those feelings, you know, as well. And, you know, I think I, I probably share the feelings of a lot of people of wanting to do something, but not knowing uh, really where, you know, where to begin because, you know, like I said, we've been here before. So just a lot of different feelings regard in, in that regard. What, um, so, oh, go ahead, Mike, go ahead. Uh, no, no worries. I, um, so first of all, again, thank you Uzo for being, being part of uh, this series with the Choose Inclusion podcast. And, and you know, Choose Inclusion was started really specifically uh, to help um, industry leadership, um, decision makers within industry to make uh, their organizations more inclusive, um, period, right? And that's a, that's a broad statement. And one of the, before we got online, you talked about the presentations that you talked about covers like 22 different categories. Um, again, in, and I got to tell you, with all the leaders I've talked to thus far on this podcast, nobody's had such an expansive list of categories when it's when you're talking about inclusion. But that means that you're super intentional about uh, this topic within your own organization. I'd love to know 
you know, just like heartfelt, how, what are, what are you and your leadership de- team doing internally just to, to talk about this topic? Like is something intentional that you are, you know, aiming to do even with your own team, even if it's not pervasive across the enterprise? Yeah, it's, you know, uh, the, the issue of um, racism, specifically uh, systemic racism, because I think a lot of people think that racism you know, it's, you know, it's that, it's that acute, aggressive, you know, kind of card carrying member of the KKK where it's very clearly seen and, uh, and we can all agree, or most of us can agree that that behavior is um, not wanted and, and a terrible thing. But what's harder for people to grasp, particularly for an organization like Prologis, where we live in so many different communities, we're not just in the US, we're in Canada, Latin America, China, Japan, and Europe. And so the issues that we see uh, kind of look different and are experienced different in different places. And it's, I think a lot of people, and it feels like now a lot of companies are, are perhaps really deep diving into navigating this and Prologis is no different. Um, and so how to have a conversation about this uh, in a way that helps an entire global organization understand is very difficult, um, to be honest. You know, the, the everything that, that happened has happened uh, very recently. And, you know, as an organization, we've, uh, you know, I think for the first time, you know, we put, uh, if, you, if you go to, you know, the Prologis LinkedIn page, you put out a pretty powerful statement against racism. Uh, as an organization, we took that stand and, and I'll admit that I was surprised how quickly um, we did that. And it was something that our CEO felt strongly about uh, and because uh, he wanted our position to be very clear. And so that's helpful, but that doesn't help the individuals um, necessarily kind of sort out the feelings as we do have um, uh, employees from all uh, walks of life, particularly African-American uh, employees in the company. And so where we've started the conversation thus far is really having small group discussions within teams just to create space for the conversation to see how people feel. Uh, and, my, and my guidance to managers or my leaders is don't, um, you know, if you're going to create space for the conversation, let the conversation happen and know, and, and, and that has to be an unqualified conversation. So it can't be, hey, let's talk about this, but let's leave. Uh, you know, politics out of it. Let's talk about it, but, uh, you know, five minutes and then let's get back to work. You know, let's talk about it, but be mindful of, you know, how other people might feel about what you're saying, because there is a reality of how this feels. And outside of the context of work, people are very raw and emotional about it. If you're going to create space for the conversation, you have to create space for the entire conversation about it. Uh, And so if you don't have, if you have a lot of things to do in a team meeting, that's probably not the setting for it. I have a leader I spoke to yesterday who actually created a a meeting and it was optional. And uh, he allowed his teams, if you want to come and talk about this and have an open, you know, authentic discussion about it, you know, please join this meeting. You certainly don't have to. Uh, And he thought he'd get a couple people, the entire team showed up and, and opted into it. Uh, when they were given the opportunity, and and that and the entire point of that meeting was to create that space for the dialogue and let people feel how they feel and say what they 
they have to say, you know, no projects, no initiatives, no performance discussion, just real authentic conversation in an area that felt safe um, for that team. And I think that's where, you know, our organization is going. We're talking about possibly having a bigger discussion about it, but it's, you know, again, when you have a global uh, organization, it's very hard to figure out how to, how to uh, navigate that. And we're still, we're still swimming through that uh, in there, but it is a reality. It is what um, uh, we're going through as a society and specifically our African-American colleagues, no less of which I am a part of. Uh, and so, um, you know, it's kind of a day by day navigation. And, and as things even seem to escalate or change in the outside of the organization, it changes, you know, um, our trajectory of, of what we do. So it's, a, I imagine a lot of companies are going through the same thing. What, what feels different about this now? I mean, you know, that we've, this has been obviously an issue since the birth of our nation, you know, hundreds of years uh, of racism and, and injustice. Like what, what feels different to you now about what's happening? Yeah, I think timing has a lot to do with it because quite frankly, these, the, the, what doesn't feel different is the incidents in and of themselves. That feels the same and that's, that's sad um, and, that's, and that's hard. Um, what feels different though is that there are people who typically have stayed silent or appear to be indifferent jumping into the, um, the cause of racial justice. I'm seeing companies that have maybe typically taken a, a conservative stance on the way they stick their neck out there to um, give some messaging. It appears they're jumping in now. You're seeing you know, I think two years ago, Black Lives Matters was it was almost a, a, a swear word in some circles um, because it was easily demonized, not very clearly understood. Um, and quite frankly, there were people in positions of power that used that, um, the misinformation about it for their own motivations and, and they, were, uh, they were successful in some ways. But then uh, I think, what feels different now is number one, there were three uh, prominent incidences almost in a row, in a, in a cluster with Breonna Taylor, with, uh, with uh, Ahmaud Arbery and, and um, George Floyd, two of which were essentially murders caught on tape um, there. So while these incidences have always happened, we've rarely seen them live as they occurred. And they were horrific. And anybody with a sense of decency can look at those videos and say, that is not right. And so it creates the platform of a discussion of why, why is this, uh, like on what, in what society is this acceptable? Is this our society? Is this what is acceptable in our society? And you have people who never saw it before or chose not to see it, where it was thrown right in their face and they had to, you are forced, when you see that video, you are forced to, to do something with that. You can't ignore that, um, you know? And so people have this energy and it's created a curiosity around not just what acute racism is, but what is, what is systemic racism? The police officer in question in Minnesota, he, he has had several incidences, not of this 
uh, degree, but other um, different infractions within the course of his employment. And people are asking, how was someone allowed to continue to operate that way until it led to, um, you know, what appears to be murder um, in in that, or a loss of life, an unnecessary loss of life. So let me not uh, uh, let me not uh, assume one thing before it's before it's proven, but certainly a, an unnecessarily an unnecessary loss of life, and uh, it is it is uh, pulled at the heartstrings of decency in a lot of people, and when their colleagues, their neighbors, their friends their family members, African-Americans go out in the street and protest and say enough is enough. They're right there with them. And it's creating a sense of curiosity, not only in the professional world, but I think in just uh, people's hearts and minds who have typically been on the sideline. And so that is encouraging, but we, we always run the risk of uh, having these acute um, situations of awareness and want for action. And then it just falls flat. And so it's important that this energy go towards real reform and real change and that we don't let it go. We don't let gaslighting take place. We don't let redirections take place. We don't let misinformation take hold and that we all remember what this is all about and we keep that going. And that's the part that I'm hopeful will come from, but only time will tell uh, in that space. Yeah, I think you brought up a really interesting point about how the term Black Lives Matter has changed now compared to two years ago. I had a good friend run for office um, on the platform of Black Lives Matter. And, um, you know, she was an Indian woman. And, um, but she really believed that, you know, raising the voices and elevating the voices of Black people raises the quality of life and raises justice for everybody. And so that's why she, she ran on that. And, um, she was completely torn down by the Democratic Party for running on, on that platform. That was not considered a good thing, even by, um, you know, the, the kind of left-wing liberal America. Um, but now you're seeing, you know, everyone getting on board with it and, you know, companies are coming out saying Black Lives Matter and, uh, you know, everyone did the big push on Instagram to change their profile pics. Um, but you know, one of the things that I think a lot of criticism is coming out and I, I'm on board with it is that so much of this is performative mm -hmm. and, you know, how much of it is actually going to lead to real concrete change when, you know, the news cycle hits and the next big thing is on media getting everyone's attention. I mean, what do you think are the ways that we as individuals or, or companies even should be making sure that this isn't an issue that goes away, that's something that continues to be addressed systemically and not just when it's in the heat of the moment. Yeah, you bring up a, it's a good point. And it also, you know, I, I go back to, you know, how you implement an effective IND strategy is um, all, we have outcomes that we want and we have an end result that we want. Uh, but then we have to remember that uh, with human beings, 320 something million, you know, Americans, there's all kinds of different, we're all starting from different places. Um, and our understanding and our attention to this, some of us have been paying, paying attention to this for a really long time and have had a lot of energy uh, about it for a real long time. And some people are just now as a result of just horrific videos are starting to get there. 
And so that means that their journey to the ultimate outcome may be a further behind than some of us who have been upfront with it. And so we have to be okay with incremental progress if we're all moving in the same direction. Uh, we all, so, you know, um, the social media thing and changing your profiles, that's a small thing, you know, will that change the world? Um, you know, not in the sense of, you know, perhaps creating laws and, you know, reform and, and uh, you know, the way that we police. But what it does do is if you think about a dark room, it, it lights one candle and then someone sees another candle and then the, you start lighting these candles. And everybody who has a candle is in a space of awareness that they haven't been in before. So what was a dark room with a few candles is now... Uh, a room with a lot more candles lit. Um, candles can't be the, 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 the last step, but it's certainly the first <clears throat> in terms of that enlightenment. So, uh, so I think that's a good thing because it creates a, a, a foundation of which can be built on. You know, it creates uh, you know, room for people to listen more and to not shut things down immediately. Um, where you talk about how people protest and um, you know, people are like, hey, not don't protest that way and not that way. And you can't do it that way, not that way. Um, you know, and that it kind of, you know, some of those same people now are like, actually, I get it. You know, you protest how you want because I I get it now. Um, and that's a great place to be able to launch from. As organizations go, I think we always have to keep in mind within the IND space that um, you know, the things outside the organization don't just, you know, you don't just leave them at the front door and then you just, you know, go and project manage and those kind of things. They, they come into the organization. If you have an IND strategy, let's forget about programs for a minute and talk about, you know, just the relationships that we have with people to be able to create intentional practices about checking in with people. If that's not a part of your regular routine as a manager in your one-on-ones, I would encourage you to make that a routine. Instead of getting right into the data and the metrics and the KPIs and all that, just ask how the human being across from you is doing and let them uh, let it be okay for them to say, I'm not doing well, or I'm doing okay. You know, you don't have always have to hear the good or great, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, and uh, give that person space to talk about it or not. Um, but just to check in with them, I think creates that intentionality we continue to do that, um, you know, we'll be able to allow people to be uh, authentic and human in the workplace and not feel like they have to compartmentalize thing and things in a really unhealthy way. And then that turns into resentment, you know, possibly, and that kind of thing over time, you know, um, but we'll see. I think the other thing is this is an election year and uh, everything kind of converging all in, in, in one, at one time, I think is giving people a lot of energy around that, and the 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 run up until November, you know, these things are not going to go away. And so, if there's an organization out there that's like, okay, let's just weather this for 30 days, give people space, you know, hashtag Black Lives Matter, and then we could do something else. You know, this isn't going away. So let us not pretend. And let us uh, prepare for continued conversations about this going forward. I I so appreciate the fact that you're 
talking about the because uh, I because what you had mentioned about your CEO putting a statement out on LinkedIn provides IND leaders like yourself within an organization to then be able to leverage, uh, you know, the culture building, the the business building uh, tactical initiatives that you have as an IND practitioner. So you have something to point to that says, yeah, this, this actually matters from the top down. So you can start building that culture that really supports growth within your organization. And, and as an organization, like, so it's, it may be one candle from a, you know, an IG or social media kind of thing. But when you start getting more and more organizations from the very top that are giving this the space to grow and actually develop the cultures within organizations, then consumerism, because consumers really care about the organizations that they're purchasing from, what are their initiatives? Do they really care? Do they not really care? And you can go out there and find out which organizations are doing that. So I, I really appreciate you saying that because, I you know, large companies like yours, that matters in the grand scheme of things. It's more than a single candle when your CEO is making a bold statement like that. It's more than a candle. I'd say it's kind of like a spotlight. Yeah, it is a spotlight. I was about to say, absolutely it is. And uh, particularly when you have organizations that haven't really put themselves out there before, I think it's really incredible to see. I've seen brands that kind of like to stay out of the fray um, for uh, for whatever reason, just kind of kind of say, you know what, this is this is out of control, um, and my employees are are struggling with it. My customers are struggling with it. The communities that our businesses sit in are struggling with it. And we can no longer just sit here and pretend it's not happening or, or we're afraid of, you know, we, you know, we have to be unafraid of, um, you know, um, some folks are going to say, you know, this isn't an issue or, you know, not be happy about this being a particular talking point, but they're saying, I don't care because it's important for my customers, my employees, it's important for me as an individual, you know, in the case of our CEO and, and, um, you know, doing things such as, uh, you know, with the statement that Hamid put out there, our CEO, he also donated 250, I should say we as an organization through the Prologis Foundation donated $250,000 to the Equal Justice Initiative, um, which supports, you know, uh, which is an organization that works oh. to basic human Brian rights. Brian Stevenson. Yeah. What a yeah. legend. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that is not a small amount of money. And, you know, we, we donate to different causes and you know um uh, some money here and there but uh, when i saw that uh, amount i was like oh, wow and that was without conversation i mean i like i'm the int leader i was surprised to see that i wasn't even wasn't even a part of that <laughs> you know and it's like it was just something where he said we're doing this right you know we're gonna do this um and uh, you that, can point to that now as an int leader though right like that's something yep. that you like that all that does is support everything that you're working towards i'd say it, 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 it absolutely does. And it, and it, um, it can be the foundation of a lot of conversation. This is now important to Prologis. And so if, if, if you're in Prologis uh, and you see that, you think, what in the world, um, you know, would uh, make Hamid give that amount of money? I have to see, you know, what does the Equal Justice Initiative do? And you go and research and wow, I like that. And, you know, I'm, I'm down with that cause. I'm, you know, how do my colleagues think? I'm hearing them speak from the heart about this, this concerns me that they feel this way. 
And I think the more that we can create those conversations internally and externally, uh, it'll it'll build momentum, but we got to keep it going. This isn't a hashtag. Uh, someone's life isn't a hashtag. George Floyd was not a hashtag. They didn't ask to be a martyr. Um, he didn't ask to be a civil rights uh, icon. You know, uh, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, they didn't ask for this. Um, and the countless others before them, um, they didn't ask for it. And so we have an obligation as a society um, to take their involuntary, you know, sort of position that they have in our in our hearts and uh, in society now, and do something with it, you know. And uh, because we we still have a choice of what we do, they do not. Uh, and that's a that's a powerful thing. And I think everybody needs to internalize that. Uh, that yeah, that's right. There is that's a very impactful statement because. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of people who feel like they just have to turn off their social media. And I'm talking mostly about white people because, oh my gosh, it's just so negative. I can't take it. Well, guess what? You don't get a choice. Mm -hmm. The black community yeah. never got a choice. Mm -hmm. I, and yeah. Yeah, they're, they're you know, I my heart hurts for, for their parents, their families, yeah. you know, they, they can turn social media out off and those and their family members still gone uh, and i get the negativity piece but you know um it's not all rainbow and sunshine and and life isn't a remote control you know you can turn it off but your african-american colleagues and neighbors and friends um they can't you know they can't turn it off and no. even even if they ignore it it is still internalized when you go out, you know, I don't have vice president of HR for Prologist or whatever company, uh, you know, um, I don't, I don't have that. There's times where I think so consciously about the way I look in a particular neighborhood that sometimes I feel compelled to put on my college sweatshirt. So people know that, you know, Hey, you know, <laughs> yeah, at, at, right. at least, you know, I can, I can identify with that, you know, to some degree. And that's, and I, and then I define how ridiculous that is, you know? For me to even have that notion, but for that to even be a thing, and and I think people have to think about the reality of what some of their colleagues, neighbors, and friends have to deal with, and they can't turn it off. Yeah, you know. Yeah, no, that's that's huge. And you 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 guys mentioned um, EJI and Brian Stevenson. Yeah, my wife and I just watched Just Mercy last night, and oh yeah, oh, man, just so I mean, just literally like most of the people on there just because they look they were black that's it that was the mm -hmm. only reason they were convicted and put put on death row mm -hmm. you know what i mean like just yes. egregious and um you know just just totally ignoring the the evidence and everything it literally was oh well you know i was taught this and so that means you're going to die because of it yep I think, you know, people have to you know, understand that um, when, when you haven't grown, when you haven't, you know, had experience around, uh, you know, black people. Um, I remember, you know, I went to a small college in, in, um, in the middle of South Central Nebraska on a, on a track and field scholarship. And um, that was an experience for me, <laughs> you know, 
uh, to be, I think, one of maybe eight black people on the campus. Um, yeah. You know, at the time I went, and uh, you know, I remember talking to someone one day, and my roommate and I uh, uh, were African American, are African American, but uh, so we were talking to this person, and she said, "You know, you guys are the first, and she's twenty years old at the time. You guys are the first black people I've ever spoken to in my entire life. Can you imagine two decades of life?" not having spoken personally to a single black person. So everything in her experience with us was just so new and, you know, and there's a lot of ignorance and, and things, you know, along the way with that. And uh, you can educate people with an open heart uh, and mind in that space. But when you take that same perspective and you put it on top of uh, police training and you put it on top of uh, you know, putting a person uh, with, uh, you know, uh, their personality and maybe lack of exposure into a predominantly Black neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the, the easy villainization of, of uh, certain behaviors or whatever that you're not used to seeing, a lack of understanding of the African-American community, it's, it is a recipe for um, not good things to happen, uh, you know, in that. If we don't challenge ourselves to try to understand people's perspectives, they seem so foreign to us. Uh, and then it's easy to then label people, you know, uh, where, you know, and, uh, and those people who have uh, bad intentions will, will take that lack of understanding and really run with it. And you see it happen in the criminal justice system and things like that, where you see people who have been on death row or convicted uh, and, uh, and then exonerated. And then it, it uh, you come to find out just the sheer amount of racism that put them there. And I just cannot even imagine spending 15, 20 something years of my life in prison for nothing because of the way I looked and how unfamiliar right. I was with uh, uh, to, to the people who were, who were um, deciding what my, the worth of my life. Um, and that's, and that's scary. And it's, it seems like that's not, you know, oh, that's that's so rare, Uzo, don't worry about that. Do you think everyone who's in that situation uh, didn't think the same thing? They probably thought the same thing and right. there they were. So, you know, it's not impossible. And that's what, you know, a lot of African-Americans think about when they get pulled over, you know, you don't, uh, you know, when I get pulled over, it's not about whether or not I think a cop is good or bad. It's irrelevant. It's that I don't know, and I'm going to stand completely still. Whereas some of my friends, they'll open the window and say, hey, man, you know what? I'm sorry. I was speeding. My bad. And, you know, all these conversations is like, I don't know. Right. Like, I don't. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to I'm going to, you know, um, I'm going to stay as still as possible until told to do things. And that is not a knock on any individual, more so what I need to do, knowing the realities of, of society. And that's... Well, yeah. Well, they, that's they what's called weaponized. systemic culture though, right? What's that? Yeah. What's that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ubaldo, but that's, that's, but that's what we're talking about. Like within an organization, like having the permission to create a culture based on the leadership of that. And so to me, when you talk about entire states their culture of villainizing skin color or or maybe country leadership like 
Like that that's a for real thing where like mm-hmm. okay, so it like that cult culture thing, you know, again, they, they uh uh I think way too long we've just pacified, we've not addressed this head on about saying no 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 no, this isn't this isn't tokenism. You know, this is a uh you know, a culture of of villainizing based on, you know, something that uh, individuals have no control. I mean, how, how, how you look when you're born and I'm born blind. Like I, I get mm-hmm. that. So I, like for me, I, I just, I, I, we had, a, I had a conversation with uh, the, uh, an African-American friend of mine who says that they had to have the talk with their child about, okay. I mean, of all things, whether or not to trust the police, exactly what you're talking about. Like imagine mm-hmm. having that conversation with a child, like, so I, I like my son is cited. However, he's Caucasian. I'm not going to have to have that particular talk with my son. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, well, yeah. And it, the, I think the 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 problem and and where we we get into this conversation about the police is they're able to weaponize that ignorance and that culture, and that's mm-hmm. that's what's scary. That that's the problem, right? It's like you can talk to normal people, and within organizations, we can have conversations and we can learn together. But when you put it in the hands of a a, a police force, they they they've now turned that into an actual weapon. Yeah, I mean, uh, one conversation I had the other day was that, you know, there's a you know the the conversation is well, you know. Uh, not all cops are bad. And I think everybody knows that, right? Like everybody right. knows that just by, just by statistical, you know, just, uh, just by statistics alone, like you're going to have, get a hundred people, some are going to be good, some are going to be not good. How are you to find that? So of course, I think everybody knows that. The problem is we can't tell the difference. Um, the, the police officer mm-hmm. in Minnesota if you put him in a group of 100 police officers and let's say uh, 98% of those police officers out of 100 were great civil servants and great people and uh, all of those different things. But you've got this guy. Um, it then, it then, and this guy does this on video. You know, it's the burden of, of believing who's good and who's not on the victims or is it on the group of people that know who the good or bad you know individuals are because i don't know and that's the scary part and some people do and if we don't use our voice um to to stop individuals that 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 behave in these ways and and don't use our voice to speak up on injustice in that it allows bad individuals to, to walk among us and to create this kind of chaos and, and uh, unrest that just, that just tears society apart. So silence is how we got here. Suppression is how we got here. Um, and if we just run that back again, this is gonna happen again, right? right? This is going to happen again, and it may be worse. So, you know, there's a lot of people at all levels of our society, from our government to our federal government to our local governments, all of us, business leaders, and all of that, we have to decide if we want to be part of the silent suppression because that's easy, makes us makes some folks feel more comfortable at time. And then we just 
have these acute explosive social unrest issues when this inevitably happens again. This is a pattern. And in business, when we see patterns, if we see our customer NPS score going down quarter after quarter after quarter, we run countermeasures. We hold people accountable. We say, this is not acceptable. Get these scores back up. What do we have to do? Go talk to our customers. Go figure it out. Is it our products? Is it our services? What is it? Because this, this, this data that we have is not good. We have to take that same mentality and look at these. We are trending down. <laughs> you know, we're trending down. Time to run yeah. some countermeasures, right? I mean, yeah. the stakes the stakes aren't just we have to get inclusion in blogging. It, this is life and death now. And yeah. the stakes yeah. are just so much higher. And we have enough data to suggest that this, you know, if we, you know, uh, business leaders out there, right? You know, everyone, when they see data, they react to it because that's what, you know, customers and businesses need. You need to take that same mentality and put it on these societal problems. And it's, you know, it's bigger than just the one of us or individuals, but collectively look at this data and let's do something. And that includes at all levels of leadership in all organizations, including federal and local governments, do something uh, about it. Love it. You know? I, I hope you run for office someday. I'm just saying, man. I, I, love I, I like to get things I, done, so I don't know if I can run. <laughs> I know. I, I, I get it. Um, you're, you're, you're a business leader that actually knows what he's talking about in business, and I love it. Um, I so have enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to speak and, uh, you know, create the space for the conversation. Um, you know, there's obviously been a lot in my mind and had a lot of conversation about this, both personally in my life and also at work. And so to be able to just uh, be able to continue to talk about it and just uh, let the words flow is very much appreciated. No, we appreciate you. Thank you for, for trusting us, um, you know, to, to give you the space or to create a space for, for black voices like yours and, and, you know, every, every one of these we do, I just keep walking away with more perspective and more insight and more impact. So I, you know, I thank you so much and thank you all for listening. Thank you, Mike and Nina. Um, always, as always check our, um, chooseinclusion.com website for, you know, upcoming, uh, black voices matter episodes and, yeah, stay tuned. We've got more to come. Thanks, everybody. Take care, everyone. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you.